0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Quit while you're ahead. That's how the saying goes, but it's a saying I don't think Jesus really ever learned. At least not from what we can tell from the story that we read in Luke's gospel today. This story, you'll remember, is part two of the story that we began last week, the story of Jesus' first sermon, which he gave back in his hometown of Nazareth. You might remember that it was really quite a short sermon that he gave. In fact, we get all of it here in the first verse of this passage today. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The scripture that Jesus was referencing was a few verses from Isaiah. They announced that God had anointed the prophet to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the oppressed, restoration of sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed, and to declare the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus had read from Isaiah And he had announced that the scriptures had been fulfilled then and there. So far, so good. Actually, quite good. Because Luke tells us that after Jesus preached his one-sentence sermon, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They looked around at each other. They were amazed. They said, isn't this Joseph's son? Look at our hometown boy. Look at how he's saying these astonishing and gracious things. You can almost picture the pride just beaming off of their faces as they sat in synagogue that day. And this is where I want to say to Jesus, this is a fantastic response that you have gotten to this sermon. So how about you quit while you're ahead? But Jesus doesn't. He starts talking again. And what he says in the course of just five short verses causes everyone in the synagogue to move from marveling at him to wanting to literally throw him off a cliff. Things went south quick that day in Nazareth for Jesus. And what was it that he said that made everybody so upset? I think it really boils down to this. Jesus refused to be put in a box by the people who wanted to lay claim to him. See, Jesus knew how to read a room. He looked out and he watched his fellow Nazarenes in the synagogue and he saw them respond with pride to the sermon that he preached and he pretty much knew what people were thinking and he said it out loud. He basically said, I know what you're gonna say. You're gonna say, hey, doc, why don't you heal yourself? I mean, we've heard about all those miracles you're doing over there in Capernaum. Why don't you show us what you got? Do a few of your cool tricks here. I mean, come on, we're your people, we're your friends, we're your neighbors. We know you've got something special saved up for us, right? You can kind of imagine the people in the synagogue looking a little bit sheepish as Jesus said this. It was what they'd been thinking, even if they wouldn't have said it out loud. And it really hadn't seemed that bad until they heard Jesus say it that way. And then Jesus gets his real zinger in, He says, you want to know the truth? No prophet is ever really accepted in his hometown. You can imagine that heads sort of jerk up as Jesus says this. You can hear sharp intake of breath, nostrils flare, teeth clench, jaws set. What is he talking about not being accepted in his hometown Weren't we all just saying how excited we were to have him home? And now he's saying we're not accepting him? I mean, just who does he think he is? And then Jesus throws a little more gas on the fire. He says, you know, back in Elijah's day, you remember there was a drought for three and a half years, and there was a famine in the land. And he says, there were plenty of widows in Israel at that time, plenty of people who were vulnerable, But God didn't send Elijah to the widows of Israel. God sent Elijah to Sidon, to where the Gentiles live. God sent Elijah to help a Gentile widow instead of those Jewish widows back at home. And you know, back in Elisha's day, there were lots of Jews who had leprosy. But did God use Elisha to heal any of them? Nope. God sent Elisha to Naaman, a Syrian, another Gentile. Now, Jesus doesn't state the meaning of all of this explicitly, but the folks in the synagogue could put two and two together. And this is sort of what they would have come up with He's not here for us. He says God has sent him, but he thinks God sent him for those other people the ones from the wrong side of the tracks, from the other side of the border. Why does he care about them? We're the ones he's supposed to care about. This is his home. And so they got mad. They got so mad that they chased him out of the synagogue, down the street, and nearly threw him off the cliff at the edge of the town. Because the people in Nazareth were trying to lay claim to Jesus. They were excited that he was one of them. And because he was one of them, they thought they kind of had his number. They thought they should get to have some say in what Jesus did. They thought they deserved some special treatment from him. And when Jesus made clear that none of that was going to be true, Well, the response was fast and furious. They literally ran him out of town. Why? Because Jesus refused to be put in a box by the people who wanted to lay claim to him. Now, I think it's kind of easy for us when we read this story now to kind of roll our eyes at the people in the synagogue in Nazareth that day. To sort of say, they were so small-minded, weren't they? I mean, how foolish they were to want to keep Jesus in this box. It's easy for us to do that. Too easy. Because I think we have a problem. And that is that we are Jesus' hometown. And by we, I mean all of it. At every level each of us as individuals, this congregation, pretty much the whole wide church and the whole wide world. We are Jesus' hometown. We are the ones who lay claim to him. We are the ones who think we know him. We are the ones who think he belongs to us. And when we do that, We're trying to put Jesus into a box. We're trying to define bounds of who his mercy and compassion are for. We are trying to draw lines around who is acceptable for Jesus to hang out with and who is not. Because I think we like to think that Jesus belongs to people like us. Now, we're not perfect by any means, but you know, we're good people. We believe in Jesus, we go to church, we try to live good, respectful, law abiding lives. We think Jesus belongs to people like us. But have you ever noticed what happens when other people try to lay claim to Jesus, or try to claim Jesus as well? People who aren't good according to the definition we give it. People who don't follow the rules of polite society or whose lives are kind of a mess. People who don't think like we do or talk like we do or vote like we do. What happens when people like that try to claim Jesus? Have you ever noticed how easy it is for us to get just a little bit about it, to think they don't really know Jesus. Because if they did, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be like that. When we see that Jesus reaches out to people who aren't like us, and we see that he shows them overwhelming grace and compassion and love, I think we have we tend to have one of two responses. First, we can dig in our heels and effectively stay home in Nazareth. In the name of preserving our own theological or moral purity, we don't follow Jesus out there, across the tracks, across the border. We want to stay home where things are familiar, and we ask Jesus to please stay a little closer to home himself. Or, we can follow Jesus way outside the bounds of what is known and what is familiar. We can let him expand our spiritual and theological and moral imaginations. We can let him grow our understanding of love and compassion. We can let Jesus lay claim to us instead of us trying to lay claim to him. The choice, I think, between these is a simple one, but that doesn't mean it's easy. It's challenging to let Jesus set the agenda. It's challenging to do things that are outside of our comfort zone, to engage with people who might not be like us, It's a challenge to let Jesus lead us beyond the familiar borders of our spiritual hometown and into a world that is so hungry for the love and the grace and the mercy that Jesus has to give. In a way, that challenge is some of what we'll be talking about in a little while at our annual meeting. We'll be rejoicing and giving thanks that we do know Jesus, that he's familiar to us, that we've received his love and grace and mercy, that we are from his hometown. And we'll be looking at the invitations that God may be giving us to move outside of our comfort zones a bit, to be willing to try new ways of engaging with God and with our communities, To be a church that doesn't try to keep Jesus here at home, but who are willing and eager by God's grace to follow him out there, wherever he may be going. Sometimes it's good to leave home. Amen. Amen.